Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 400th episode of PH5. Um, it's not actually the 400th episode. Um, but, you know, feels like enough of an institution at this point that it might as well be the 400th episode, right? Um, a light, nice little game I like to play with myself right off the bat is how much coffee can I shove into my mouth and down my throat while the PH5 theme song plays before we come in, just to get that little added little jolt of electricity to make sure that the episode goes smoothly. And uh, folks, you'll be happy to hear that I got a substantial amount of coffee in this time. So uh, I think that means it's gonna be a good one. It's kind of like that, uh, that TikTok trend that's happening right now. Uh, I don't have TikTok because uh, I'm a curmudgeon old bitch. Um, I'll probably get it soon, realistically. You can only fight these things for so long. But that, uh, that TikTok trend that's like, is it a Bones Day or not? Um, today is a Bones Day in terms of my coffee consumption for the podcast episode. I think that's a good thing. Anyway, how's everyone doing? Yesterday was Halloween. Crazy stuff. Uh, I didn't. I didn't dress up. Did you? Um, I was thinking about some of my old Halloween costumes. I've gone to some really dumb shit over the years. Just looking back, I was uh. Well, this is actually pretty funny. In high school, it's like grade 10 or 11 or something, um, I went as a cow. My mom had this cow costume. Basically, it was like a, a white painter suit with, um, I guess, like these like cardboard cutouts that were painted black for the spots, right? And they were just kind of like glued on to the painter suit or whatever. And then the next year, I just took all those cardboard cutouts and I flipped them over so that the cardboard side was the cardboard side was showing, and uh, that year I went as a bowl of cornflakes for Halloween. Pretty inspired stuff. I went as a blow up doll one year. I was reminiscing on Instagram today about how uh, this one year I went as Shrek. If Shrek was a fan of ska. Uh, but I I did my full phase green and I looked in the mirror and I just felt so uncomfortable, you know? Like, holy shit, I've, I'm in green phase now. And, you know, in, in this political climate, you, you never know, you know? I mean, sure, maybe right now, green phase isn't that bad and just kind of whatever. But what about like 20, 30 years down the line, you know? picture service of me in green face and all of a sudden I'm fucked you know instantaneously cancelled removed from office anyway we're almost at the end of the year pretty wild and um usually around this time I start to really think about the year in general and uh in terms of music like what were the big takeaways for me this year? What were some of my favorite records? Do I have a definitive album of the year? Some of the things that uh, I'm kind of going through right now. So 
considering this episode will be a recap of October, we'll probably do a kind of more standard-ish episode right at the beginning of December, recapping November. And then December I want to make a little bit special. Um, I want to maybe have a few episodes because, you know, music does get released in December. And I'm taking a look at the release date for December and there's actually quite a few things dropping in December. And I always feel so bad for those albums, you know? Like those poor guys, they deserve a spot on the year-end lists too. But at that point, most publications and most critics have just, they've already decided what their albums of the year are. So if you drop in December, you're kind of just accepting the fact that you're not gonna be put on any year-end lists. Not that year-end lists matter at all, but you know, it's, it still would be nice to be included in them, I think. So what I wanna do is I wanna make sure that I do devote an episode to talking about the music that was released specifically in December and also an episode kind of wrapping up the year entirely and I don't know maybe another bonus episode I don't know why not right it's December not like we're going to be doing anything other anyways anyways <laughs> anyways the dancing clown we'll see yet to be determined but I'll make sure I've got tons of great content for you guys to play while sitting around the Christmas table with your families. You guys call it the Christmas table too, right? Okay, just making sure. Anyway, how's about we start talking about some albums? You guys good with that? I'm good with that. So... Without any further ado, this is PH5, episode 10? Makes sense to me. We're in the double digits now. That's pretty crazy. Um, it's not actually episode 400. Sorry for the psych out there. PH5, episode 10. We're talking about October 2021. Let's get to it, folks. Thank you again so much for joining and sticking around. I really appreciate any and all of you who take the time to listen to this. Uh, it really means a lot. So, yeah, let's do this. Okay, you guys know how this works by now, all right? We're gonna talk about five, four, and three Take a little break to talk about the mentions, and then we're gonna pop back in and wrap it up with number two and number one for the month of October 2021. So, number five for October 2021, we have the band Frontierer with Oxidized. I'd never heard of this band before, before this album dropped. Uh, I think October 1st was a Friday, and I was just kind of, you know, cruising around the old blogs, trying to see uh, what had dropped. There's nothing in particular of interest was dropping on that day to me, so I wanted to see if anyone else had any other thoughts and anything interesting that had come out that particular Friday. 
And a bunch of, like, pretty heavy records had come out, um, including the new Full of Hell, which is a pretty solid record. Um, it's not making it onto this month's podcast, but I'd still recommend giving that a spin. And this particular record kind of caught my interest because uh, Brooklyn Vegan, which is the blog that uh, kind of put me onto this band, described this as just being far and away heavier than anything else that had dropped on that particular day. And now they were saying that the same time a drop with Full of Hell had released, um, who were just a ridiculously, absurdly heavy band. So I was like, are you telling me that an album drop that was even heavier than the new Full of Hell record? It's kind of interesting to me, you know? So I checked it out, and yeah, I gotta give it to BV because they were absolutely right. Uh, this Frontier record is some of the most ridiculously heavy shit that I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, I distinctly remember the first time putting it on. I was walking down, I don't know, I think it was maybe University Avenue here in Toronto, walking by City Hall, and the first within the first 10 seconds of the first track that comes on, I just kind of like started beaming and my eyes went wide and I just kind of like laughed to myself like, holy shit. And it was, it's okay, you're being downtown Toronto. Um, I was one of maybe 50 other people in a one block radius kind of laughing to themselves and talking to themselves. Um, lots of crazy people here. And yeah, I was shocked by just how pummeling this thing was. So, they play kind of almost like a Genghis Tron, but back in the day Genghis Tron, like a really kind of digital synthesized version of hardcore. Uh, that isn't afraid to add in some electronic elements and kind of make them a core tenet of their sound. For example, you know, riffs that have obviously been, uh, had a decent amount of signal processing on it and super compressed and just, you know, really not afraid to kind of meld together the organic and digital sounds into the end goal of just creating something as heavy as humanly possible. And it's very impressive. It's almost like, you know, if there were like heavy wars that were happening right now, these guys would surely be somewhere at the forefront of it all. And it really reminded me of kind of music that I would listen to back in the day, like bands like uh, the Dillinger Escape Plan, which was and still is one of my all-time favorite bands. Just in the complexity of the riffage, kind of the mathiness to it all, and just that kind of bravery and, and fearlessness to integrate a lot of digital synthesis into their sounds. And it really reminded me of how Dillinger could be so heavy, but not in a necessarily, um, like, off-putting way. Like, it's 
interestingly heavy, you know? It's not just like, and just like, you know, pure noise. It's like, you're listening to it and you're like, wow, how are they even really doing this? You know? Really astounding stuff in a way. So, listening to this band, listening to this album, it, it, it can be a hard listen. Um, the record itself is like, it's 16 songs long. It's like almost 50 minutes long, which is... It's, it's like hilarious to me like you you look at again the other record that came out around the same time uh, That full of hell record again really really heavy, but it's only 20 minutes long. They kind of know like With this stuff you kind of need a little bit of restraint But Frontier was just like nah fuck that, you know, we're giving you 50 minutes of this shit and it is kind of front to back just the most brain-fuckingly heavy shit that you could possibly imagine. Um, but again, not necessarily in, like, an aggressive or, um, like, depressing or overtly emotional way. It's almost heavy for the sake of being heavy, which sounds like a bad thing, but they've kind of turned it into an art form, and They've made it a really interesting listen. And near the end of the record, they start kind of integrating a little bit more melodic elements into the music. Um, the last song even has like a, almost a full out vocal melody kind of playing off somewhere in the background. And it makes me really excited for the direction that this band could possibly go in. Again, bringing up uh, Dillinger Escape Plan again, they started out as just like pure math core, just pure noise, pure brutality, pure heaviness, and as they progressed throughout the career, they started integrating a lot of that Faith No More-esque, um, alt-rock almost, uh, melodic structures into their songs, integrating all these hooks. And, and they found a way to kind of be both really heavy, but also really catchy. And that took their game to a whole new level. So, there are hints of that with this Frontier record, um, near the end of Oxidized, especially on the last song, End-Hope. And it makes me think, you know what, maybe that's where this band is gonna go next. And that's really exciting to me, because I'm sure they'll still bring the pure chaos, but if they can integrate a little bit of melody into it too, and make some like catchy, hooky parts of their songs, this could be a really, really special band. Uh, but for now, the oral assault, the almost artistic chaos of Oxidized is fine by me, and would highly recommend it to anyone out there who is looking to induce a seizure. So, number five for the month of October is Frontierer with Oxidized. All right, number four is, so I just kind of want to apologize. There's a lot of hardcore records this month. Um, I just, I just love the genre, and there just so happened to be a lot of good shit released in that genre this month. I'm sorry. Y'all know what you're getting into listening to this show, okay? I made the disclaimer on the very first episode, 
and um, that kind of absolves me for the entire series. So, um, go listen to the first episode, I'll explain it all then, but listen, I'm aware I'm biased towards heavier, darker music. I listen to everything I possibly can, but that's just the stuff I kind of like a little bit more, and it's going to get included more often than other genres. That's my bias, that's just the way it is, so yeah, at least I'm aware, I guess. That, that counts, right? Uh, anyway, so number four is the second ever EP actually to be featured on the show. Um, after that Eve's Tumor EP from a few months ago. Number four is Knocked Loose with A Tear in the Fabric of Life EP. I don't know if you always have to say EP after announcing the title of an EP. I feel like it's kind of like this unspoken rule. Now spoken. Sorry about that. Uh, seems kind of dumb though because you don't like... Then LP, unless you're talking about Eminem, he always does that. Getting a little bit off topic here, aren't I? Um, so Knocked Loose is one of the more popular, younger hardcore bands on the planet right now. Uh, real big with the kids. Now, they've never really been that big with me. Their brand of hardcore has always been a little bit too... Um... For lack of a better term, and I hate to say this, but like basic, you know? Like just too, just straight up hardcore for me. Not not too many interesting things going on for me to uh, really want to give them a second listen. So the last record was called uh, A Different Shade of Blue. That was their last full length, came out in 2019. Gave it a listen, it was fine. But again, nothing really stood out. It wasn't really special in any way that really separated it from any other of the legions of hardcore bands out there. So I understood their appeal. I understood why they were particularly popular, but just wasn't really for me. But this EP is really interesting because instead of kind of going in a direction where they're choosing to become more accessible. They're kind of going a different way, where they seem to be getting weirder and darker and more experimental. And we can see that with this record for the first time, really. It's the first kind of collection of music by these guys that have really caught my eye and my attention. And it's because it's just a really unique album, especially for them. So this season kind of flirting with a lot of almost more death metal and black metal influences. Um, for example, a few of the songs on here, um, Forced to Stay, uh, Return to Passion, for example, these songs actually have blast beats in them, which is something they've never really done before. Uh, Forced to Stay in particular, one of my favorite songs, the entire outro ending section of that song is built off of this kind of really jagged angular riff and these kind of like group vocals that fade out in the distance and it's this really unique powerful effect and the whole EP is full of these 
really interesting moments that aren't really anything like they've done before. It's a, it's kind of like adding, like, how do I put this? Let's say the old records were like, like ramen noodles, you know? Everyone likes ramen noodles, it's pretty good, okay? But on this record, they finally added some sauce with their noodles. And it is a spicy, delicious sauce. And now that I've had these ramen noodles with these sauce, these sauce, I don't want to eat this ramen any other way again. And I'm really hoping that them taking this time to experiment and kind of testing the waters with this new EP, I know the reception that they've gotten for this record has been fantastic. So uh, I hope that they continue to sauce their noodles for the rest of their output because for the first time ever, I finally see these guys as actually a really interesting band with a really interesting future. And it's not just for the kids anymore, you know? It's for the weirdos too. So, coming in number four is Knocked Loose with A Tear in the Fabric of Life, EP. Okay, number three is yet another hardcore band. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, I'm sorry, but hear me out, okay? Hear me out. Hardcore is not exactly right. Um, in fact, coming in at number three is the best metalcore band of all time, other than maybe Converge, Every Time I Die with Radical. So, I've had this interesting relationship with Every Time I Die. Um, I've been a fan for, geez, like 16, 17 years or something like that. Like, I went out and I bought Gutter Phenomenon when that shit released, okay? I'm OG with this shit. And ever since that record came out, uh, well, not necessarily true. After Gutter Phenomenon, they released The Big Dirty, which was a real kind of southern metalcore, real southern riffs kind of record, which was really in vogue at the time. Southern hardcore was like the most popular genre with the kids. Uh, I didn't really like it. I thought it kind of played too much into the trends at the time. And ever since that record came out, Every time they would, every time, that's funny. Is that funny? Every time they would release a new album, I'd be like, okay, this is gonna be the record that they lose me on. Um, and that's been happening now for, again, probably 15 years. Each time they release something, I expect to not like it or I expect to be over it. And I'm always kind of shocked in how they managed to grab me and kind of bring me right back into it every single time. Which is a real testament to this band's longevity and consistency. Especially considering, I mean, 
they've released, geez, how many records now? 10, 11, 12, or something like that. And, I mean, for the most part, they all kind of sound pretty similar, really. I mean, the first two are definitely more rough, but as soon as we get to Gutter Phenomenon and Keith starts actually kind of singing and, and, and got his voice kind of together and the production value went up, the records have all kind of been variations on the same formula. But they've done it enough times and they've been able to vary it enough to always keep it interesting. So what's going on on Radical? What's going on with this record, the latest of their offerings? Um, it's actually a pretty interesting record because it's the longest gap between any of their records. Um, their last one coming out in 2016, Low Teens. So it's been five years. And I actually had a kind of a unique experience with Low Teens, which made me think out even more that I wasn't going to be into this record. Um, I really liked Low Teens. I thought it was a great record. But this one day, it was like Thanksgiving or something, and I was driving to Kingston with in my in my car that I had uh, with my girlfriend at the time, driving to Kingston, and she used to be an Every Time I Die fan, so I was like, yo, you gotta hear the new record. Check it out. So I put on this album, and we're driving down the 401, and kind of like in the middle of the album, long story short, I got into a really bad car accident, and I totally totaled my car, was never able to drive it again, and coincidentally, that's also one of the days that I quit smoking for like the 16th time, and after kind of getting in that hideous car wreck and suffering the trauma of that day, I wasn't really able to return to low teens. Um, you know, I kind of started associating that record with the car accident, which I'm sure you can understand was not an association I was super keen on uh, continuously returning to. So knowing that, it made me even less excited for this album. I was like, oh God, like, am I gonna get into another car accident when this album comes out? I haven't yet, so that's good, but I gotta hand it to this band because even now, you know, started liking this band when I was like 15 years old, I'm 31 now, they still kind of got it and they still managed to excite me. Uh, so this record is, again, just another slight tweak on their formula that's worked so well and gained them so much popularity throughout the years. Um, Keith, their vocalist Keith Buckley, sounds fantastic on this record. Uh, I remember hearing the first few songs that they released kind of as an EP last year and not being super keen on his vocals. I thought maybe they sound a little bit off and he didn't quite have it anymore. I was wrong. I mean, even now I return to those songs and they don't sound as bad as I thought they did but on the whole for the rest of the record he sounds incredibly on point his screams are 
ferocious. His uh, melodic singing is, is is basically perfect. And his lyrics are as, as cutting as ever. And the lyrics are a really important part of Every Time I Die. Uh, Keith used to be an English teacher. He's a published author. And the lyrics are kind of what all... I mean, the lyrics are almost always what songs are based around, but... Uh, it's one of those bands where you actually want to sit down with the lyric book and read along with the songs as you hear them. Yeah, I don't think that's really the case for too many, you know, heavier bands, because either the lyrics are about, like, fucking Frodo Baggins and some fantasy bullshit, or they're just really depressed or about, like, Satan or whatever. My point being not that interesting, but Keith has always been a fascinating lyricist uh, with cutting-edge commentary on society, um, commentary on himself, really, and this album might have some of his finest lyrics yet. Uh, just really almost funny depictions of the shitty state of the world that we live in, uh, kind of harrowing depictions of his own life. He recently got sober, so... You know, he kind of details some of the struggles towards getting to that point and, you know, why he got sober and why he had to do it. You can kind of pick up on that through some of the lyrics in these songs. And overall, from start to finish, it's just an extremely solid effort. Um, would I say it'll end up ranking among their best in the discography? <sighs> Probably not. But Every Time I Die is also a band where it's kind of hard to rank their discography because everything, all the records are very similar. Um, and it's with such minor variations and tweaks on the formula, it all really comes down to preference. Which tweak do you like better? Which minor variation do you prefer? So, Radical is... And this doesn't sound like a compliment, but it really is yet another solid Every Time I Die album. At this point, I'm convinced that every few years, they're just going to be releasing solid records until I'm dead. Because, you know, it's been 15, 16 years now, and I keep thinking that they're going to lose me, and they keep proving me wrong. So you know what? I'm just going to stop thinking that. I think they've proven their point at this point. They are truly one of the most consistent bands in heavy music. Any type of heavy music. Henny, Henny, heavy. So, coming in at number three for October, it's Every Time I Die with Radical. Okay, how about we talk about the mentions? But first of all, let's cue the best piece of music composed in Moss Park ever. Go. These are the mentions. Um, yeah, sorry. I technically uh, composed that in uh, the annex. So sorry, Moss Park. You're still basically at O for O in terms of good music being composed here. Um... So, I'm really trying to uh, avoid getting to this, 
putting it off, but we're going to start with the dishonorable mention, as we always do. And this, this one hurts. This, uh, this one really hurts a lot, I'm not going to lie. I claimed a few months ago with that Gojira album that that one hurt. No, 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 no. That's nothing compared to this one. So, this band I have been a fan of for even longer than Every Time I Die, I'd say. It has been a long, long time. And I have loved everything they've put out. I truly, up until this point, did not think they had a bad record in the catalog. A few years ago, they kind of switched gears a little bit and went from being like a sludgy heavy metal band quite kind of more of like a sludgy you know proggy band with alt rock melodies and choruses and whatnot it was pretty divisive move in terms of their fan base a lot of people were upset that they kind of Came quote-unquote softer but you know I stuck to it because I saw the value in what they were doing you know they were still making incredible songs so who cares if it wasn't as heavy as it used to be if you want to listen to that heavy stuff go back and listen to it it's not going anywhere let them keep going in the direction that they think is best for them right as long as the songs are good, that's all that matters. <sighs> but what happens when the songs are no longer good? The dishonorable mention for October is Mastodon, Hushed and Grim. Um, let me give you a little peek inside the hood of this podcast for a second, all right? So, I was really excited about this album. I've been really excited about this album before I even knew it existed. Because I knew it would come eventually, and I knew that Mastodon, being one of my all-time favorite bands, being one of the most consistent bands ever, would just release another masterpiece of incredible music. So before it was even announced, I was excited for this record. And it got announced, and I heard that it was this double album, which made me even more excited. Because that just means, hey, more great songs, right? I heard that the whole thing is more or less a a tribute or an ode to uh, their old manager who died of pancreatic cancer. So, wow, there will be so much emotion imbued in these songs, like... It's going to be impossible not to love them. I purposefully didn't listen to any of the singles because I wanted that first listen to be an exciting experience, fresh, and just full of wonder for me. And I remember, you know, seeing the days leading up to the album coming out 
all these 10 out of 10 reviews. And my anticipation was so high for this thing that before even hearing the record, I basically already slotted it in to my number one spot for the month of October. Um, that's rough, right? That's not cool. You should be objective, Phil, and you should hear things before you preemptively make decisions on where they're going to land on your list. And it really just speaks to how flawed this whole thing that I'm doing is. But I just want to give you an idea of, like, how much I love this band, how excited I was for this record, and how much of a fucking letdown this thing is, okay? I've gone through this record probably four times now, and again, keep in mind, it's a double album, it's 90 minutes long, so that's, what's, what's 90 times four? That's like 360 minutes, okay? So I've listened to this thing for 360 minutes. And I got nothing. My first listen, listening to it through, like, hmm, okay, this isn't really quite what I was expecting. Nothing's really standing out, but you know what, maybe it's a grower, that's fine. You know what? I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Second listen, hmm, maybe it's like a grower grower, you know? Like, it'll really take some time to land. And, I mean, most bands... If I listen to a record like this, it was 90 minutes long, and there's nothing going on for me to really take away from it, I would have given up. I'd have been like, okay, well, I got a hundred other fucking things to listen to. Nice try, but, you know, better luck next time, I guess. But because I love these guys so much, because I'm so devoted and I'm such a fan, I went through it again, and then I went through it again, and then I went through it again. There's nothing here. This is easily their worst record. It sounds completely uninspired. Um, see, again, like I said, when they kind of switched up their game and started making more traditional-esque rock sounds, it was okay with me because this band was so good at songwriting, like, it didn't matter, you know? The songs were catchy, they had amazing riffs, excellent choruses, great hooks, killer melodies, you know, great solos, just so many amazing things that... Why would I hate the fact that they changed their sound? Because what they're making still sounds amazing. There are like 15 songs on this thing. Basically all of them are over 5 minutes long. And... Nothing stood out to me this entire time. Um, I'd say 13 of the 15 songs are the same kind of plodding, mid-tempo... kind of slog-fests. Um, which causes the whole album to kind of have this really... almost, like... aqueous... kind of... Goopy, swampy feel to the whole thing where, like, you're really immersed in it, but 
nothing's really happening at the same time. Um, there's there's no real hooks in this thing. Like there are a few memorable guitar parts that occasionally stand out, um, but mostly the whole thing just kind of washes over you. And at the end of it, you're like, wait, so that was it? That's what we waited for? Did I really just listen to 90 minutes of that? Um, one thing I find really interesting is the fact that Bren Himes, their, their lead guitarist and one of their primary songwriters, and he's got this incredible bluesy southern fried voice and he hardly sings on this thing. He sings on two songs and the other 13 are relegated to Bran, the drummer, and Troy Sanders, uh, the bassist, who, don't get me wrong, Bran has got a beautiful, clean voice, which has really served to accentuate the amazing songwriting and the great hooks that they were able to incorporate in the past. But, holy crap, like, there are no hooks. And so, when he sings, and he's not singing any hooks, it's just kind of like, oh, this is boring. And then Troy Sanders, again, he probably shares the majority of the vocal duties on this record. He's got a cool voice, but I don't know if I'd necessarily call him a great singer, per se. His voice is kind of hoarse and raspy, hoarse, <laughs> hoarse and raspy, and, and it's kind of just grating after a while. And there are some songs on here where he's singing the entire songs. Again, they're all at least five minutes long. And it's just, it's just hard to listen to. It's hard to get through. Um, it contains easily their batch of least memorable songs ever. It contains the song called Had It All, which is by far the worst song they've ever made. Just a boring snooze fest of a song. And it's just a massive disappointment. And I've, I've tried to read all these 10 out of 10 reviews and I've tried to connect with these fans who love it and try to understand where they're coming from. What are they hearing that I'm not hearing? And I just don't know what it is. I think the fact of the matter is this band is so beloved and has put out so much amazing music and means so much to so many people that they're just grasping at straws and, 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 and kind of for their own mental well-being, they need this record to be good. So they're kind of inventing it in their in their minds, you know, they're creating this good album that isn't there. Because I love Mastodon as much as the biggest Mastodon fan, and I'll tell you, this is not good. This is not a good record. So Dishonorable mention, easily my biggest disappointment of the year. Like, actually painful. Mastodon, hushed and grim. Man, I really hope they can figure it out and return to form on the next record because this is a brutal way to go out, if that's going to be the case.
Okay. Whew. Well, I'm, I'm glad I got that over with. That felt like a therapy session to me, honestly. Like, I just needed to talk about how badly that album hurt me. Um, feeling a lot better now. Feeling a lot better now. So let's move on. So the mention for the month is the record Punk by Young Thug. Okay? Hey, it's not a hardcore record. That's great. Um, so Young Thug has always been, well, not always, of course, uh, for the last six, seven years ago, Young Thug has probably been my consistently favorite rapper in the game, just because of the wild, eccentric approach that he has to making music. Um, his run back in the day of... There was the the mixtape, the uh, Rich Gang mixtape back in the day with Young Thug, Rich Homie Kwan, and then Barter Six, and then the Slime Seasons, and I'm Up, and he just went on this legendary run in like 2015 to 2016 of releasing like a new mixtape every few months, and every song was awesome. And no one else was doing it like him. The only person close to him was uh, his friend Future, who had that great run of mixtapes in, I think, also 2015. But I really think that Young Thug's run rivals almost Lil Wayne's early run of mixtapes in just how consistently good they were and how consistently interesting the music that he was putting out was. And it's been really interesting to watch the impact that he's had on hip-hop over the years. Um, for instance, artists like Gunna and Lil Baby would literally not exist without Young Thug. Like, I'm not just saying they were influential to Young Thug. Like, I'm saying they literally would not exist if he hadn't put them on and basically created this new template for what hip-hop and trap could be uh, with those mixtapes. Um, Quote-unquote mumble rap, which is a distinction I'm extremely glad that we've been able to move on because, I mean, it's inherently racist. Uh, but mumble rap, the whole idea of that kind of rap that leans heavily into accents and, and ad-lib heavy and really, really melodic. He basically did that himself. Like, he started that um, in a very eccentric, like I mentioned, way. So, the hip-hop landscape would not look like anything it looks like today without Young Thug. So, here we are in 2021. His last record was um, 2019, uh, So Much Fun, which was a fine enough record, you know, it lived up to its title, it was a batch of fun songs, and I'd say that's about it, that was probably his least favorite of his, um, that he'd put out to date, because it seemed more like he was interested in just kind of sticking with the trends that he had created, instead of being ahead of the game like he, he always has been. I mean, if you think about it, 
Thug's music has always been a year or two ahead of any big trends. You think about uh, the be beautiful Thugger Girls mixtape, where country rap... He, he was making country rap songs in the vein of, you know, Lil Nas X, Old Town Road, like, three years before that record came out. Or you think about uh, Harambe off of Jeffrey, um, which is kind of like a heavy punk rap style song. Again, years before that kind of became on vogue in the hip-hop scene. So he's, he's, he's always been cutting edge. And so much fun, it just wasn't really that cutting edge. Again, it was, it was fine. Collection of decent songs, they were just okay. But not that special. So here we are with Punk, and he releases, he kind of, sorry, he announced this album almost immediately after uh, So Much Fun came out, and he described it as a collection of like real rap songs, you know, with uh, lots of storytelling elements and just just kind of like about real life. And the fact that he called it punk, you know, kind of made me really excited at the time. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a like a heavy hitting, you know, just like a, a heavy hitting hip hop record with lots of bangers. And, and, and I'm really interested to see what he means when he says like real raps, you know? So in classic Young Thug fashion, um, punk is maybe like the least effective way of describing this album. <laughs> um, there are guitars on it for sure, but they're all these soft acoustic guitars and the whole album itself is this really subdued low-key kind of like again like acoustic rap um i'd say a huge chunk of the songs maybe like a third of the songs don't even really have drums on them and it contains a lot of this really soft introspective type songs like i know what he meant now when he said that it was real raps he meant like these are songs that are about his real life about the real experiences that he's had and you know obviously these aren't all great experiences and it's a really bafflingly almost mature record it's not what i was expecting at all i don't think it's what anyone was expecting at all and really kind of made me think about this interesting state of uh, hip-hop and trap where we are right now, where it feels like we've hit this, um, like, all of the kind of young trap stars from, you know, the mid-2010s, they're all kind of growing up and maturing. And the music that they're making is starting to kind of reflect that. We heard it earlier this year with um, Lil Baby and Lil Dirk's uh, the Voice and the Hero, or The Hero and the Voice, which was not good, like it sucked, but the whole idea was, you know, here's 20 songs that aren't like, you know, like bangers and songs about like parting or whatever, these are like, you know, soul-searching, really emotional songs about like the hardships of life in the streets, 
And this record does another similar thing, but taking it almost to a, a new extreme of kind of softness and delicacy. So it's, it's just interesting to see that Young Thug is now kind of like, like almost like the father of the scene and has grown up and, and, and is trying to create this hip hop that is grown up like he is. It's an interesting direction. Um, we'll see what happens if this ends up influencing even more artists to kind of take on this acoustic-based rap, uh, shying away from drums and, and, and club hits and just more like soul-searching introspection. Um, I doubt it will. I also doubt that this is a style that he will stick around with for too long. It more so feels just kind of like an experiment that he wanted to try out at the time, because it's completely different from anything that he's ever done. And I wouldn't say it's great. It's definitely not great. Um, there are only really a few really good songs on here, but there are some great tracks. And overall, I don't think Thug is ever made a bad album and he certainly hasn't made one with this one so time will tell we'll see if you know these like adult contemporary trap songs as i like to call them will catch on and will be the next new thing uh but for now you know we've got young thug kind of chilling out and taking it easy and you know wisening up so the mention for the month is Young Thug's Punk. And to round off the mention series for this episode, the honorable mention is going to go to Moss Grew on the Swords and Plowshares Alike by Kodot. Cool title, guys. Um, you fucking nerds. So, KO Dot is the project of Toby Driver, who's been this really interesting figure in the kind of avant-garde metal scene for over 20 years now. And he kind of broke onto the scene back in the day with his band Maudlin of the Well, who were kind of creating this really experimental um, but still very heavy metal that, you know, it was just weird, but interesting enough to gain a pretty solid cult following. Uh, Maudlin of the Well Dissolved, and he quickly formed K.O. Dot right after, which has kind of been a revolving group of musicians over the years. And K.O. Dot has touched on Basically, whatever genre Toby's had a fleeting interest in um, for like 10 or so records now, it's been all over the place. And while some of the records are still kind of rooted in that experimental metal, um, a lot of them have just been experimental full stop. Like not heavy at all. Like, I remember they released this record, Coyote, back in the day, which is it's 
pretty much just uh, like some violins, Toby's voice, and some drums. Um, to varying degrees of success, you know, the albums have been pretty hit or miss over the years. Um, but they've been mostly great, and it's kind of culminated in what is largely considered their magnum opus, which was the record Hugh Bardo, which came out in 2014 or 2015 or something like that. And Hugh Bardo was this kind of sprawling epic. It's like almost two hours long, has like a bunch of songs that are like 10 minutes long on it. And it was basically, if I recall correctly, it was a crowdfunded effort, uh, so no real label involvement. But Toby just basically wanted to make his masterpiece. And uh, he took to people, raised enough money to create this record, and it was, it's easily their best record. Um, it incorporates a lot of the older Maudlin of the Well-esque heavier sounds, a lot of their more recent forays into, you know, throw whatever at the wall and see what sticks, experimentalism. And it was just a huge success in the underground metal world. Just a great record. And ever since that came out, things have been kind of weird for K.O. Dodd. Um, almost immediately afterwards, they released the record Coffins on IO which was a complete departure from Hubardo. It was more of like a dark wave, gothic synth pop album than anything. Uh, they kind of doubled down on that with Plastic House on Base of Sky or something like that, which was just kind of like a worse version of Coffins on Io. And for me, they personally kind of lost the plot completely on 2019's Blasphemy, which was just kind of like a more or less uninteresting retread of old sounds. You could hear Toby bring some of the aggression back that had been lost since Hubardo, but really just really not all that inspiring stuff. So I almost wasn't even gonna bother checking out this newest record. Um, again, kind of just lost interest over the years after increasingly diminishing returns on these records. But on a whim, I decided to check it out. Honestly, mostly because I was so underwhelmed by the Mastodon record uh, that all the time that I had kind of slotted for listening to that album over and over again, I now had his free time because that album sucked so much and I needed to listen to something. So I saw that this came out. I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. And I gotta say, I was very, very pleasantly surprised by this latest record. Uh, it sounds more like Hubardo than anything probably before it, or that's happened since, um, in that it does a great job of kind of integrating their heavier, more aggressive past with this kind of newfound love for uh, the avant-garde. And interestingly enough, the album is... It reunites all of the members of Maudlin of the Well. So this should basically be 
the modeling of the rel the modeling of the well record because all the personnel from that project are on this album, but I guess I don't know. He just decided to call it a Ko Dot record again, and it's great. It's the best music they've released in years, um, and it just really reminds you of the creative force that is Toby Driver. Again, like he. You just have to respect him because even if it doesn't hit, he's always the kind of guy who will swing as hard as he possibly can. And, you know, either he's going to strike out badly or he's going to hit a home run. And on this record, I'd say he leans more towards the latter. So it's a great reminder of the power that Toby Driver has, the power that this band K.O. Dot can have, and just how interesting avant-garde metal can be. So, the honorable mention for the month is K.O. Dot's Moss Grew on the Swords and Plowshares alike. Um, Toby, man, Venmo me like 20 bucks for having to say that on my podcast, because... That's a brutal title, dude. These are the mentions. Okay. Okay. Uh, this episode is turning out to be a lot longer than I was expecting it to be. I warned you guys, it's a bones day. The coffee be hitting. So, I don't want to keep you forever. So enough meandering. Let's get to the good stuff, what everyone's been waiting for, the number two and number one records. So, number two for the month of October 2021 is Shade by Grouper. Grouper is the project of Liz Harris, and among the many things about Grouper that I find really interesting... She doesn't really follow the standard album cycles that the vast majority of artists do, where they, you know, they, they write, and then they go into the studio and they record what they've written, and then they, you know, promote the album, and the album comes out, and then they tour the album, and then maybe they take a little break, and then they start writing again, and the whole cycle kind of continues, blah, 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 over and over again. That's how most people approach the whole music career thing. Um, but not Liz, not at all. Uh, I, I don't. I would love to actually sit down with her and uh, talk with her about how she decides what goes on what record and, 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 and how she chooses to kind of sequence and create these albums because it just seems like a bafflingly different way every single time. So Shade is a collection of songs that she's written and recorded over the past 15 years. And this isn't the first time she's kind of done something like this. Like the record that I started listening to her on, uh, The Man Who Died in His Boat, was basically a collection of B-sides from another record. Uh, The record after that um, Ruins was a collection of songs that she'd recorded years prior 
in like a retreat in Spain or, or something like that. So instead of her just recording songs, releasing them, recording songs and releasing them, um, yeah, she just kind of picks and chooses whatever songs that she feels like have a thematic quality together and releases them regardless of when or how they were recorded. So, her last record was Grid of Points, which even by grouper standards was an incredibly distant ambient record. Uh, Liz makes what I can only really call like ambient indie. Um, usually most of the time what you're hearing is just her and her guitar or just her and her piano. And she's a fan of either miking herself incredibly closely so that you can kind of hear every enunciation and every syllable crystal clear in your ear as if she's speaking literally into your earlobe or just applying layers and layers of reverb on everything she does to just sound as distant and far away as possible. There's no real middle ground for her. She's either right up next to you or she's a million miles away. And that's kind of how grouper songs operate. Um, this record contains both, although definitely more of the kind of closer mic'd songs. And what I really like about this album, especially in comparison to the last one, is that it features a lot of her most accessible songwriting. Um, these are, for the most part, definitely songs. Um, a lot of grouper records have lots of tracks that are just ambient pieces or just kind of swaths of wind or, you know, more textural elements than actual uh, melodic ones. But this is a record where the focus seems to be on the songwriting. And maybe that's what caused her to put this particular collection of songs together because these are some of her most accessible songs uh, in years, or if ever. Um, as always, stunningly beautiful uh, and, and, and achingly heartbreaking. Um, she's, she's always going through it in one way or the other, and you can hear that in all of her songs, but it's you can actually kind of hear her lyrics in this one, which is really interesting because you can almost never do that. And uh, it's a rare glimpse into the actual mind of Liz Harris and, 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 and what she chooses to sing about. And um, often the songs are, you know, romantic partners. Or are they romantic partners? Is she speaking about children? She's speaking about you know, close friends. It's, there's no real way of knowing for sure what she's speaking about, but you can hear in her voice every time the the pain and resolve that comes with every single word that she speaks. And it's a really affecting album. 
very emotional, but again, just really catchy too. And one of my favorite uh, authors or music critics or whatever you want to call him, this guy named Brandon Stozoy, uh, he loves Grouper. He's basically obsessed with Grouper. And I remember him saying one time that as soon as it becomes winter, he basically puts Grouper on in his living room or his kitchen and Grouper stays on repeat for the entire season. It's just that type of music that really coincides well with kind of the falling snow and, 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 and the coldness of the season. Um, but this record, I think I'll put on in the spring because there's clarity here, there's melody here, and it doesn't all just get washed away. There's a... You can really feel these songs in a way that you usually can't with Gruber Records. I would say right now, this is probably my second favorite Gruber record, apart from The Man Who Died in His Boat, which is an all-time favorite for me. And it's a great kind of entryway into the Grouper catalog because, again, it is some of the most accessible stuff that she's ever made. But there's lots of those really ambient elements that really set her apart and define her kind of more experimental work. So, number two for October 2021 is Grouper Shade. Last but not least, for October 2021, number one is going to Piecework by Kowloon Walled City. This is their first album in like seven years or something like that, I think. Um, but it's such a definitive statement, you would think they had never really left the scene or that they've been kind of pumping up music like this consistently, like month after month at this point. Um, this is a really, really cool album. And it's really interesting because it's my favorite album of the month for sure. Yet, I couldn't really tell you any of the song names. I couldn't really tell you what happens in any of the specific songs. The album itself is about a half hour long and the only way to listen to this thing is to just put it on from the start and let it play through to the end. Um, the whole thing kind of sounds the same in this really weird but really appealing way like, they really bring you right in to the mood of the record right away. And it just stays that way for the entire half hour duration. And I remember when this record dropped for like the first week that it was out, basically I would put it on and as soon as it would be over, I would just put it back on again. And I did that over and over and over again because there's something I don't know, something 
almost addictive about it. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is. Could be the dynamics. Uh, the record is produced by uh, the lead guy in the band itself, and his production techniques remind me a lot of uh, Steve Albini and what Steve Albini did with a lot of the noise rock bands that he's worked with in that it's very, very sparsely produced. Um, Steve Albini likes to refer to himself as a record engineer. He won't even use the word producer because his approach is so hands-off and bare-bones uh, that he, 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 he... Basically, his whole ethos is you want to capture exactly what the band is doing in the studio, and that's it. And that's what the record should be. It should just be the band making that noise without any kind of outside interference. And this record sounds a lot like that. Um, really sparse production. Like, it sounds like the band recorded this live off the floor. Um, next to no overdubs. Um, very cleanly, precisely mixed, where every single element that you hear has its place. Super clear, it's right there. There's nothing really disturbing it. Um, and the whole kind of production of this record, the sparseness of it all, there's lots of silence, lots of instances where there are no instruments playing. And the silence ends up being just as important as the sounds are. And it really draws you into this really kind of tense, anxious world that they've created with this album. If I were to try to describe this type of music, I would, I would struggle for sure. Um, somewhere in the realm of post-rock mixed with sludge metal, mixed with noise rock, but with this really added element of kind of anxiety, uh, probably because of the vocalist. Um, the vocals done by lead guy Scott Evans, he just kind of does this very almost Jesus-Lizard-esque Jesus, Jesus Lizard -esque, like howl, and that's kind of how he vocalizes on the record. It's not screaming per se, it's more like yelling. And just the, the effect of these yelled vocals against the really sparse drums and guitar and in the silence and the lyrics are really interesting They're just kind of little vignettes that allude to this kind of tortured world but refrain from really painting a picture it just results in this really mesmerizing really compact experience and like as a whole on the at the record itself makes for one of the most intriguing and easy to listen to back-to-back -back experiences of the year um like i would easily say there are better songs released this year across many different genres across many different records but if you're looking for a singular album experience um Nothing has been released quite like this one uh, yet this year.
it's a it's a record of a lot of pain. Um, I feel like you can really hear the fact that apparently the lead guy went through a serious bout of writer's block, and you can almost hear him tortured as he fights through that block to record the music that you hear in this album. Every every note that's played, every drum hit, you know, every ringing out of guitar amp dis distortion is very careful and precise and exactly where it needs to be. And you can really hear the band kind of exercising their demons through every second of every song in this record. Again, like, I can't recommend a song. You just gotta kind of experience it from start to finish. It's at times extremely heavy. At times it's barely there at all, but it is a singular experience and really unlike anything else that I've heard this year. So coming in at number one for the month is Piecework by Kowloon Walled City. And that does it for episode 10 of PH5. Um, I'd love to add like a section of the show where I answer any questions that people have for something like that. I'm, I'm trying to make this more engaging somehow so that, you know, people are more willing to listen to it and want to listen to it. So if you have any questions, please reach out. If you have any thoughts on any of the albums, if you want to come on in and be a part of the show, please let me know. Um, just want to make this better for everyone. Guys, it's getting cold out. Bundle up, stay warm, stay safe, and thank you so much for listening to PH5. My name is Phil May. Have a good one.